Hey everyone, this is episode 21 of Environmental Professionals. My name is John Lieber. You can reach me on Twitter or Instagram, which is at jungle underscore capital. Um, I'm happy to welcome my guest Diamond today. So Diamond, thank you for joining me and um, welcome. So can you just kick us off by introducing yourself? Yeah, well, first, thank you so much, John, for having me today. My name is Diamond Spratling. Uh, I am Detroit raised, currently Atlanta living, and I am an activist for all things environmental justice, um, health equity, and social justice, the environment, and super happy to be here today. Great. So uh, what did you take in university? I want to learn a little bit about your, your uh, educational background. Yeah, of course. So I actually, um, I got my Bachelor of Arts in Environmental Policy and Analysis with a specialization in International Perspectives. And that was from Bowling Green State University's um, Department of the Environment and Sustainability. And then after that, soon after I received my Master of Public Health, my MPH in Global Health with a focus in Community Health and Development and a, um, a Certificate in Water Sanitation and Hygiene. And that is from Emory University. University's Rollins School of Public Health. Why did you take that program? Yeah, um, so I mean, at first I started off with more of the traditional you know, environmental policy, environmental track, which I definitely loved, but I felt like I wanted to better connect my environmental expertise to health because they're so closely related, but not a lot of people know that and not a lot of people make that connection, but I wanted to have, um, be able to have that expertise on both sides of it so I can advocate for both issues and um, there are things that I've grown to really, really love. And so from that, I just felt like, you know, in order for me to really do the work that I wanted to do, I wanted to have that health perspective as far as the environment. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But to back up, what, what, what was the original thing that made you interested in environmental policy? Yeah, um, so actually, not a lot of people know this, but when I was in like, when I was young and in like high school, I just had really that typical interest in the environment, in the trees, the air, and really, you know, the um, the animals. I mean, everybody knows like the campaigns of like the uh, polar bears and, you know, the ice melting and things like that. And that's really what gravitated me towards the environment. And essentially, I loved science. And so um, from there, when I was in high school, I took an AP environmental science class. And then I'm like, okay, I love this, but I love it to some extent. So I loved more so of the advocacy and the policy side of things. And then I realized like, okay, I wasn't as good as I thought I would be at the whole science and chemical side of things. And so that's when I did my research on different universities that had more so of a policy track or, you know, can do not so much of the science side of things. And that's when I found the University Bowling Green in mm -hmm. which I, you know, I felt like this was a perfect match for me essentially. So that's kind of how I got started in, into things, but yeah. it definitely soon after changed like my, um, my interest in the environment. Right. Yeah, I'm just fascinated um, how people get their original spark into the industry. And that, that's why I was wondering, is it so it, there wasn't a park or something near you? It was just something that sparked it inside you that was just always there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially, I just loved, I loved being outdoors. I loved the environment. And that's really what it was. I just wanted to do something that I really loved, loved to do. And I really cared about it. And I felt like, okay, like, environmental issues, it really stuck to me. I mean, essentially, as I said, it was more so of like the perspective of like, you know, save the environment and things like that. But as I even evolved even more in my education, in my professional career, it kind of transitioned more into the environmental justice aspect or like, um, right. you know, how it contributes to health. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so can you tell us about, so you're the founder of an organization, I believe, called Millennials for uh, Environmental Justice. So can you tell us about that and how you um, how, how you founded it? Yeah, that's exactly correct. Um, so I founded uh, Millennials for Environmental Justice, I want to say almost two years ago now. So we're um, still fairly new. And so basically the organization was created to um, really inform and advocate and engage communities, mostly communities of color, who are experiencing environmental injustices and give them basically that strength and that extra push for them to be able to advocate for themselves and have that education on what environmental justice looks like so they can really push for it in their own backyards. And so we focus on um, a couple of different pillars. So when we talk about food access and food security, um, community urban planning and making sure that the community is very involved on that granular level um, and economic development, because we know our communities thrive when we can thrive economically. And then also um, essentially environmental health. And we, we pick those four pillars because we understand that, I mean, really, you can't have one without the other. They're all intertwined together and they all kind of what we felt represented the idea of environmental justice. Yeah, the, and that makes so much sense because what I've found is that any uh, part of the environment, the more you learn about the industry, including people, is that everything is connected and everything influences everything. So I can see how when you're looking at the, uh, the, the social part of it, that everything would be connected there too and how that also integrates into the environmental health as well. Uh, so can you just explain what is environmental justice to you? Yeah, so I mean, I would definitely say, I mean, I mean, in the lay terms, environmental justice is the fair treatment of everyone. And really, I think paying special attention to communities and neighborhoods who have not received that attention in the past and making sure that we're prioritizing them and making sure that they are living in an environment where they can thrive, whether that is environmentally, socially, you know, health-wise, the built environment. And I mean, the environment is so broad, you know, as you just said, really how we define our environment is so different. But I think environmental justice is where people are able to actually um, you know, thrive in their environment and live healthy lives and great quality of life. I think that's essentially what we really want um, when we think about environmental justice. And so I think that it is obviously very, very important, um, especially just, you know, if you just think of quality of life or life expectancy or, you know, just living that good life, a healthy life and being able to, um, you know, in, enjoy yourself and enjoy your the people that you're surrounded by in your neighborhoods. Right. Is there a, um, and uh, I, you know, it's never comfortable thinking about the reality that some communities have to um, live through, but can you give us an example of environmental discrimination or racism that you've, that you've uh, come across? Yes, um, I can. There are many, <laughs> but I'll try not to bore you too much. Um, but actually, there is a, um, a neighborhood in which I did some research and um, when I was a couple of years ago when I was in a research institute. And so basically the neighborhood, um, it was, which was actually in Michigan, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and um, they were exposed to, um, they live really close to an incinerator. And so therefore we know that's a very common discrimination because well, for one, the majority of the people within that neighborhood, they were Latino and um, a lot of them were low income predominantly. And so we see that they were exposed to air pollution with being in such close proximity. But I think what's a bigger issue is that um, 
um, people felt it was okay to have this incinerator in such close proximity to a neighborhood like this, kind of like in a way taking advantage of that neighborhood because you think, oh, well, they won't complain or they don't educationally know what's going on in their backyard, essentially. And so I think that that's definitely a discrimination because you're putting people's life at risk as far as their health, their mental health, you know, being able to even take a walk to the park, you know, you have to deal with being exposed to different environmental exposures. And as we know, as environmental scientists, that's that's not fair at all and definitely triggers many things. You know, asthma, for example, which we see are two times as likely to be um, something that Latino kids are experiencing. Yeah, uh, definitely. That is a really tragic situation to to think that their lives, you know, people, life is hard as it is, but to have yeah. that extra um, burden on top of you is just uh, um, really difficult to imagine. And I think uh, like Flint is probably the case study for the world yeah. of what environmental um, discrimination can look like. And another um, case that I'm quite familiar with is Shoal Lake. Um, so I was telling you how my family's from Detroit, but I grew up in Canada. Yeah. And in Shoal Lake, um, that was in the early, like in the early 19th century. But they their community is on a peninsula in, into Lake Winnipeg, and um, that peninsula was cut off for water infrastructure. And then when the water infrastructure went in, it not only did it cut them off from the mainland, but it also polluted the lake. Um, impacting their drinking water. So it left a real legacy of, uh, of, um, of pain there too. So, you know, we can see that the type of work you're doing is so important. And uh, I can see why you're gravitating towards that if you wanted to make a real impact. Um, so uh, I think environmental racism is what people um, uh, um, think about when they think about environmental justice issues. But I'm wondering, have you seen um, other socioeconomic metrics um, be the factor that of environmental uh, discrimination as well? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, I think a lot of it goes into, you know, your income levels. We look at that a lot, thinking about, you know, location-wise, um, you know, where do we see the most environmental exposures or environmental racism? I think race definitely plays plays a role, um, unfortunately. And I think, um, you know, just social class and, you know, just thinking about um, even location-wise as far as urban versus rural areas and different things like that, I think those are definitely all fair game as far as where we see the most environmental exposures or environmental racism. I mean, it's unfortunate, but I mean, that's not, it's not something that's unfamiliar to us. When we think about housing crisis and different things like that, homeless homelessness and other issues, they've always have these like same demographics, those same trends, um, unfortunately, when we think about socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, so what I know this is a big question and very uh, can be case specific and nuanced, but as far as big things that you would like to see um, incorporated to minimize uh, environmental discrimination, what kind of things would you like to see change? Yeah, so I mean, I would say thinking um, on a bigger scale or holistically, Definitely the way that we communicate environmental justice or even define it. So many people don't know what it is or, you know, think they know what it is. And I'm listening. I'm like, oh, I don't think that, you know, I don't think we're on the same page as, as far as environmental justice. So I think that's a huge issue because if people don't know what it means, how can we really cross that hump and really work to, you know, achieve this justice and solve the issue? So I think that that's definitely a really big issue um, is defining it. But also 
also communicating it really on that small scale, that small level, especially to communities of color, because you don't know what you don't know. You know, I mean, I was on a call last week on Clubhouse and um, a young lady was telling me about when she was younger, she would walk um, walk down the street to a grocery store and there was a one area that just smelled so bad. And as you're, as you're a kid, you're just thinking, oh, it just smells so bad over here. Like, I hate the way it smells over here. But you don't know why it smells so bad. You don't know if it's because of waste or a landfill or because air pollution's in the air. You know, you don't really know what's going on or what the root causes is. So I think that that's a really big issue as well, is that education and that knowledge and really making sure that we are educating at that smaller level. Or even when people are young, I don't think, I mean, even me studying environmental, um, environmental policy, I didn't truly learn what environmental justice was until my sophomore year after doing an extensive internship for a nonprofit. And so I think that this is something that needs to be integrated more in our education and at an earlier age. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think what a lot of these uh, communities face is a bit of shifting baseline syndrome where they might not ever have known what a healthy environment actually looks like. Yeah. So there's always that. And if it's increasingly getting worse, like you said, they're going by the grocery store, but maybe that's just the normal yeah. walk for them. So until they know the difference, um, they're not going to be able to, uh, to to have the education like this is what a, uh, a healthy community is supposed to look like and you need exactly. and this is how you can it. that certainly um, makes a lot of sense and that's why I, I have a lot of respect actually for what you're doing because it's my observation that in any of these environmental issues uh, it really comes down to culture more than economics because yeah. a lot of the initial thought is that we just need to throw money at it, but really changing culture, which is usually driven through education, but even more so about someone by someone who cares like you, I think is the real driver for real change. So I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so how could everyday citizens that people are that are not in the industry contribute to your organization and, and environmental justice in general? Yeah, so I mean, I think just thinking in general about environmental justice, people can uh, educate themselves. For one, I think just reading up on what environmental justice is. I mean, we have plenty of resources on our website and there are tons of others on other organizational websites as well that are really great. But I think taking the time out to really learn about environmental justice and how you can be a part of seeing it through with different communities um, versus being on the other side of the fence. Um, and I think also um, just being in being an ally or a friend to um, environmental activists or environmental um, advocates and just, you know, lending an extra hand as far as just simple reposts or retweets on social media, I think really goes a long way. I mean, we try so much on our website to try to keep up with, you know, what's the greatest trends as far as, you know, getting people involved and wanting to care about something like environmental justice. Interesting, it's very, very hard, but I think just sharing that information um, to your friends, to your family, it goes a long way because at some point we're gonna, you know, hopefully all be educated on it and know different ways to kind of um, eliminate uh, environmental racism. What is the geographic focus of your organization? Are you just looking at Atlanta or America or global? 
So right now, um, so I am based in Atlanta, but all of our board members are in different places across the U.S. And so um, we focus on different communities, communities of color, or just other neighborhoods who are experiencing environmental justice all across the U.S. So it's not just Atlanta-based, um, but right now it is just nationally in the U.S. Um, but I mean, we didn't want to focus just on on one area because we realize environmental justice really is everywhere, and I mean even globally. And so like it would be a, a disservice for us to just focus on a you know areas in Atlanta because I mean we see it everywhere it's not the exact same cases but there are similarities in the populations who are experiencing it and you know the type of issues that we see and I think that um, it has done us a lot of um, justice and benefits as far as being able to focus on different communities. Okay right right and uh, you wear another hat as well so you have a, uh, another job so can you tell us about your other job? Yes, uh, so actually I split my time 50-50, um, do most of my Millennials for Environmental Justice work in the evenings and on the weekends. But during the day, I actually work for Bloomberg Associates as their Health Equity and GIS Fellow. And so um, I'm here based in Atlanta, but the um, headquarters are in New York City. But I actually do all things um, on their urban planning team as far as access to parks, which we know is another part of when we think about the built environment. And so I work directly with with the city of Atlanta in creating a parks and recreation um, equity dashboard. So looking at access to parks, who has access and how we can better tailor our programming and our parks and um, recreation projects to benefit people who need parks the most or who have historically been um, not given that same access. That's really interesting to me um, for several reasons, but one of the first reasons is that um, when I was working with City of Toronto uh, before my master's degree now, uh, I worked for a few years on the parkland strategy there. Oh, wow. And access, yeah, access was a big focus of the, uh, the strategy. And there's so many things that you wouldn't intuitively think about because <laughs> even when you, and I'm sure that you see this as a GIS, GIS expert, is you see a big park but sometimes when you actually map out how people can access that park, it'll be like if there's the park and someone lives right here, you think all these people can access it. But then you see they actually have to walk all the way mm -hmm. like through the road up here and then yep. down to the park, right? So yep. a lot of it is quite um, inaccessible to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so, so and then and then another um, thing that I found interesting through like as far as the equity focus side of of parkland is um, talking about uh, quality of parkland as well and and um, opportunity because uh, there was actually a big study that uh, that the city helped fund and what they found is that uh, low maintained parks in the city were actually aggravating um, inequity metrics so it's not necessarily just like provide as much parkland as possible but you have to provide quality parkland and parkland that you can access and that has different um, opportunities for people of all different types of cultures. So um, yeah, that's it's really interesting. And, the, and then as far as the access, I'm wondering, what has been your observation with access in this pandemic situation? Yeah, so that's a great question because I mean, Ever, we've been highlighting that <laughs> the past several months since the pandemic started and we actually did tons of public input surveys um, or input meetings this past um, couple of months and we always ask people how has the pandemic impact you know you using our parks and it has always been like lots of people saying increased park use because you know it's something that you can do outdoors for one and you know it's free and people can you know do it 
you know, many times out of the year in a, you know, in a place like Atlanta. And so everyone has always said that their park use has increased and like people are using parks more than ever, especially just thinking about their health. Now people are more cognizant of their health and getting their physical activity in. So, I mean, this is the perfect time for, you know, people to start actually caring and putting in work for the parks. Yeah. And it's a confusing time for a lot of people too, because and I can say this now that I don't work for the government directly, but it's been a real bit of a, sh- a shit show response because the communication is very complicated for people yeah. because at first it was like, don't go outside. And then it was like, okay, actually it's okay to go outside, but that, now there's a curfew, so you can't go out. So it's very confusing for people. But I think um, by at least having the infrastructure there and then allowing the people, like as much as the information I wish was more clear at least the infrastructure is there and people can make their own decisions on what they feel is safe i think is so important but like uh, especially you know if you live in a an urban area it's one of the only things that you have left to do um Mm -hmm. so incredibly important during this time uh so what is your favorite park in atlanta Hmm. So I thought a lot about this question, and I mean, anyone in Atlanta, they're going to call me cliche, (laughs) but um, my favorite park in Atlanta is actually Piedmont Park um, for many reasons. Well, it's a beautiful park. It is humongous, Um, and I mean, I can actually bike there from where I live, which is really nice. You know, I don't have to get in a car to go to the park, so it's easily accessible, Um, and you can do so many things in that park as well. I mean, there's huge open spaces to have picnics. Um, There's a dog park. There's trails to go running, educational things. There's a swimming pool. There's everything you can possibly think of um, in this park. And I mean, I really like it. Um, I will say I've probably gone there the most uh, out of all of the Atlanta parks. And what is what the, what kind of things do you like to do when you're in the park? Um, my favorite thing is I like to have picnics. So we'll put we'll put all of our food or bread or things that we make in our backpack you know, bike over to the park and then, you know, lay out a blanket and have a picnic. Um, We took my dad when he was visiting from Michigan. So that was really awesome. And um, I also enjoy just riding my bike around the park, getting getting a nice breeze is nice. That sounds nice. And that was another funny thing that uh, I was able to witness is that they were trying to quantify what people do in parks in order to try to, you know, understand Um, like to what type of infrastructure to build in. Mm-hmm. So they were doing some observations and the, some of the things people do in parks are pretty funny. Yeah, but, um, there is some weird things that some people do in <laughs> yeah, parks. But, but, it, but it, you know, it really is the center of community for, for so many yeah. people. Yeah. Um, so uh, are, is there any other types of environmental professionals or people that you're looking to connect with? Yeah, of course. Um, well, I, I see myself as very just interdisciplinary. So I like to kind of dip my toes in really anything that has to do with the environment or service in general. Um, but I think my most recent interest has really been um, around the built environment. I'm on the urban planning team right now. And so I've gotten a certain interest in just like our infrastructure and how we build, we build our um, environments to make it 
so that we can thrive more and make our improve our quality of life. So that's something that I've been really interested in. Um, I do have a certificate in um, in wash and water sanitation hygiene and did a little bit of global work in Cambodia as far as wash. And so I really, really love that. And I love being able to connect access to water to other social issues. Um, I've done research on um, water sanitation as it relates to gender and women's access globally. So I really do love that. Um, and my first interest environment was always air quality. So I would love to obviously always do work around air quality or just connect with others who are really interested as well. Awesome. And uh, how can people learn about your organization and also contact you personally? Yes, of course. Um, so you can actually visit our social media. We are on Facebook, um, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram on um, at Millennials4EJ, and that is four as in the number four, so Millennials4EJ. And then you also visit our website that is www.Millennials4EJ.com. And if you have any questions or just want to get involved, we are opening up our summer internship program for the second year this summer, and you can um, email us at um, info at millennialsforej.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, Diamond. Uh, you have great energy. I'm really excited to see where you, what you uh, what you accomplish um, in the near future. And thanks for uh, everything you do. Yeah, of course. And thank you so much, John, for hosting this and inviting me in for uh, to speak with you. Thank you.